Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Today's episode is sponsored by Sensate. Sensate is a wearable portable device that when paired with the sessions in the Sensate app works towards reducing stress and improving well-being through low frequency sound waves and vibration. The device emits infrasonic sound waves that are synchronized with the soundscapes in the app to provide deep relaxation in 10 to 30 minute sessions. Sensate not only works towards releasing stress and anxieties in the present moment, but it also increases your stress resilience over time, improves your heart rate variability, and helps with better quality sleep, among many other benefits. As some of you know, I've been dealing a lot with nervous system dysregulation, and I'm working towards healing that. And part of this process has been using Sensei. And I have to say, the more that I use it, the more I'm convinced that nothing can calm my mind or body down as quickly as Sensei. Whilst traveling, I have had a couple of dysautonomia flares, especially when we're we're on the move. And just last week, I had a pretty bad one and I was struggling to breathe. My heart was racing. I was shaking. I was sweating and the world was just spinning. And eventually I couldn't stand up and I started feeling, feeling faint. So I had to sit down and this had been coming on all morning, really since I'd woken up. It went on for about three hours. And eventually we realized, oh, let's try Sensei got the Sensate device out and everything started to normalize within literally minutes. So many of us with endometriosis deal with chronic stress from the condition itself. Some of us will have a history of childhood and adolescent trauma as has been found in the research and coexistent conditions such as nervous system dysregulation, POTS, high or low cortisol and SIBO to name a couple. And Sensate can actually help with all of these conditions by supporting the health of our vagus nerve which plays a role in all of these issues. So whether you're just trying to deal with the stress of living with endo, or you want better sleep, or you need extra help managing these conditions, Sensate could really provide the missing piece. I use vagus nerve exercises with all of my clients, and Sensate just makes that work so much easier, which means better and faster results. Sensate is providing my listeners with $30 off with code ENDOLIFE in all capitals. That's E-N-D-O. L-I-F-E. The link to learn more and to read up on all of the science is in the show notes. And if Sensei is within your budget, I really just couldn't recommend it more as part of your healing toolkit. If I could give all of my clients one of these as soon as they begin working with me, I would. That's how much I love Sensei. So again, the code is ENDOLIFE, E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E, all capitals, and the link to Sensei is in the show notes. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially 
it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb. Um, so, you know, if you're on your period or if you're in pain, you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them. I don't know, you could have multiple if you want. Um, and then get out, get out the bath, maybe rub in some CBD balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk, and they deliver worldwide. So in today's episode, I'm actually interviewing the inventor of Sensei, Stefan Schmelik. He is an integrated healthcare physician, author, teacher, and founder of the New Medicine Group in Harley Street, London. In this episode, Stefan and I are talking about the vagus nerve and the nervous system and how together they work to support our health and how when they're not working properly, that can impact or even trigger certain conditions. In today's episode, we discuss what the vagus nerve is and its role in the body, how the vagus nerve regulates our stress response, whether the vagus nerve can become damaged or impaired and the effects that that can have on the body what heart rate variability is and how we can use that to understand the health of our vagus nerve, how we can improve the health of our vagus nerve and how Sensate can actually aid with that, whether Sensate can improve symptoms of endo and associated conditions such as POTS, gut problems, anxiety and chronic pain, and the most effective way to use Sensate for these issues and recovery. Now, not only is Stefan a leader in integrated healthcare and vagal toning, but he's also just the most compassionate, thoughtful, understanding, sincerest, loveliest man to talk to. And I really enjoyed this conversation. If you're interested in actually working with Stefan at his clinic in Harley Street or with his team, I've also dropped the link to his Harley Street clinic um, in the show notes. That's not part of the sponsorship. Um, but I just wanted to let you guys know, you're going to hear him talk about it a little bit. If you are interested, the link is in the show notes. Okay, let's get to the episode. So Stefan, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here and for my lovely device, which I'm so excited to talk about today. Jessica, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's uh, it's a great honour. So can you, before we dive into the vagus nerve and sensate, can you introduce yourself and the work that you're doing in the world? Yeah, so um, Stefan Schmelik, uh, um, you know, the last 35 years I've been a, a physician and founder of the New Medicine Group in Harley Street, uh, who the UK's main integrated healthcare team. Uh, so we, we've been dedicated to the, in there for decades, really, to exploring uh, complex um, and particularly autonomic issues, which uh, from our clinical experience seems to be one of the main issues that people are um in, in their widest form complaining from and also is an area that's not terribly well assessed or treated with mainstream medicine okay. uh, about five years ago i started specializing in uh practical ways for large numbers of people to be able to self-regulate uh, i've been using breathing and meditation practices in my uh, in my practice for decades uh, but i noticed that people's ability to engage with these kind of practices really declined 
um, and the classical meditation techniques, apps, etc., really effectively ceased to work. Um, in fact, a lot of people I found can feel more anxious or more stressed mm. when they try to notice yeah. their breathing, they try to relax. Um, and I think that's simply just because we're so massively overwhelmed with inflammation. Um, so I developed a technology called Sensate, uh, which um, we tested in clinic for a couple of years, had great results, so we've now rolled out into a commercially available product. Uh, and just it seems to be having just fantastic results in enabling people to have meditation-like experiences, but without the uh, the many complex issues associated with deep relaxation. Yeah, absolutely. And I really love that you have said, you know, it, it was difficult for patients to keep up with the practices because there always seems to be, especially when you've got chronic illnesses or some sort of nervous system dysregulation, there always seems so much that you need to do, which just makes you more <laughs> stressed about it. And then, yeah. you know, if you miss a session, you, you beat yourself up. But there is something about, um, you know, for better or worse, there's something about having a device that makes it feel easier. Um, and actually, I like, that's what I really like about Sensate, that um, you just sit back and, you know, you feel the sensations, you feel the vibrations, you listen to the the music, um, which I love because I I love the sound of like uh, Buddhist monks and all the, all the chanting. So I really like that. Um, and, but, you know, when I do meditate, I get a bit panicky when I'm trying to do the breathing, especially box breathing or um, following my mm -hmm. breath that it feels uncomfortable. And I, and I like meditating, but there's always this kind of undercurrent of anxiety for me that I haven't experienced yet with Sensate. There's, I feel like it's, it's almost like done for me <laughs> meditation. <laughs> Yeah, Michelle, one of my uh, team members, she says um, one of the reasons she loves uh, Sensate is because you can't fail at it. Yes, yeah, um, that's exactly it. And that was, I mean, what you describe is, I can reassure you, incredibly common. I mean, not can, you know, you describe finding it hard and feeling anxious during meditation. Um, I can confirm that is 99% of people's experience. Wow. And I, and I think what isn't commonly acknowledged enough is quite how difficult meditation and self-regulation is mm -hmm. so although it may be um, a fantastic thing and, and truly it is I mean I've trained with Buddhist monks I've trained with John uh, Kabat-Zinn who was the developer oh, really? of mindfulness uh, yeah so I've got you know wow. I have um, a lot of you know interesting background and knowledge which I use but um, I mean I had a real crisis when it became obvious that the people I was working with um, effectively couldn't really benefit from. They couldn't engage with the information I had to give them. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I nearly gave up and thought, well, what, what, what am I doing here? And then I realized that actually my mission, my purpose was to find a way for these hundreds of millions of people worldwide to be able to self-regulate without using um, techniques which they just simply weren't able to engage with. So <laughs> I sometimes slightly jokingly say that if you want somebody to have a panic attack, just ask them to notice their breathing. <laughs> it feels uh, so accurate from my experience, honestly. Yeah, and the, pro the problem with meditation is that it's incredibly hard and it's asking you to sit with yourself mm. and notice how you feel. And for um, average people, with no serious medical conditions, that's a huge challenge. For people who are symptomatic, that's an insurmountable challenge. Yeah, yeah. Because, absolutely. of course, how you're feeling 
isn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much trauma with a small T as well as PTSD uh, that's deeply intertwined with uh, chronic health problems um, that sitting with ourselves uh, in silence, in stillness, uh, is a huge ask when the system is dysregulated. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've had quite uh, bad interstitial cystitis. Well, I mean, I've had it for years, but it's been really bad for the past three years. And I have been told so many times just to like meditate through it and focus on the pain and eventually it will kind of, you know, disappear in a way or minimize, but it, it just almost becomes like a ball of fire the more, the more I sit there focusing on it. Um, whereas, you know, with sensei, I I am so relaxed afterwards. I've had a couple of times where I'm so relaxed afterwards that I don't really want to move out of my cocoon. And so I end up falling asleep with it on and waking up, like it's probably not the safest thing, waking up three hours later with like my headphones wrapped around my neck. I mean, like, okay, I need to do this sitting up, like, you know, not just before bed, but um, it is. Well, it's, it's fine to go to sleep. I mean, you don't obviously want to have your, your headphone cable wrapped around your neck, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's completely fine to fall asleep with your sensei because it will yeah. switch, off, switch off after a couple of minutes. Yeah, um, no, it does yeah. it does switch off. It's more the headphones, probably not yeah. ideal. <laughs> and probably the single biggest uh, benefit that people report is benefits to sleep. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. No, I've definitely noticed that. Um, so Sensei works on the vagus nerve. And actually, I'm, I do a lot of vagus nerve work with my clients. I know you do a lot of vagus nerve work. And so, but we, I haven't really talked about it on the show. So it'd be really great to dive into what the vagus nerve actually is and the role it plays in the body. I mean, it plays many, many roles. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I became obsessed with what we call the vagus nerve um, 15 or so years ago when uh, my medical team, the New Medicine Group, when, you know, we basically came to the conclusion that the thing that determined whether some people did well and some people didn't was what we call vagal nerve tone. Mm-hmm. Um, so the capacity, the ability of the vagal nerve to um, upregulate or downregulate according to demand. And I now think of this as being anti-fragility. Now, that's a term that I'm increasingly enamored with. Um, so like we've, been, we've, we've talked about stress resilience a lot in the past, which is very important. Obviously, that's like you know, how, how resilient is your barrel? How much stress can you cope with? Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, and no barrel is indestructible. So you can build an incredibly resilient machine, but you can only have an anti-fragile biological organism, such as a human being. So it's it's, it's evolution in in micro, really. So um, uh, all life on the planet has evolved in response to challenge. Mm -hmm. Uh, And our anti-fragility increases by gentle challenge. Right. So the example I like of this is uh, is uh, the the trees in the Arizona bio, biosphere. Uh, you know they have this biosphere they've created in the Arizona desert, which is uh, astronauts go and live in for six months to try and uh, understand what it might be like to live on a, 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 a base on the, on Mars. And within the biosphere, they have to hold the trees up with wires because the absence of wind means the trees don't have anything to react against 
and oh, we don't wow. fall down. So, so we actually need a degree of stress. We need a degree of challenge in our lives to be able to overcome adversity. Um, mm-hmm. We can't be too comfortable. We have to have some discomfort. Now, of course, if the discomfort is overwhelming, then we simply retreat into a more cocoon-like state and don't have the ability to learn how to adapt to that. So for me, it's all about increasing your vagal nerve tone so that um, we can pendulate uh, physical challenges, mental, emotional challenges, and actually become more anti-fragile rather than more delicate as a result. Um, And if we look at all the other interesting biometrics like HRV, heart rate variability, breath rate, um, all the other autonomic functions, we can see that those are essentially under the, uh, the, the governance of the auto, uh, autonomic immune system, uh, auto, autonomic nervous system, uh, mm-hmm. of which the largest branch is the vagus nerve. So um, we talk about the vagus nerve a lot. It's become quite popular, but it is part, and it's, I think it's important to see it as part of the autonomic nervous system. Um, uh, right, you, know, you can't just you can't separate it from that. Yeah, uh, and and that of course the autonomic nervous system is part of the central nervous system, and you know very importantly is part of the whole fascial network that travels everywhere in the body, which is essentially uh, water in gel form that wraps around every structure within the body, and it's a wonderful transmission for wonderful medium for the transmission of sound which is how Sensate works. It uses low frequency sound. And we're, we're testing this and trying to prove this at the moment. But my belief is uh, that sound travels through the body via this connective tissue, this fascia. Oh, wow. So interesting. So I think you mentioned when we were talking previously on emails, like, you know, that the, I mean, this is a complete, um, I, I kind of going off on a tangent, but you mentioned that the vagus nerve actually connects to the pelvic floor and sacral nerves, and that's not always illustrated in, in the textbook. So it does have a role in, you know, sex organs and the bladder, which is really important to my listeners because they all have endometriosis and about 80% of them have interstitial cystitis as well. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, that's not really talked about that much. We talk about the stress response and, and the gut, um, uh, but heart rate, breathing, but you see it, it's also affecting, you know, sex organs and the bladder. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you know, the, when we talk about the gut-brain superhighway, I mean, that's literally a physical description of the vagus nerve. That is the vagus nerve. Um, that's the uh, the physical uh, uh, highway that connects the brainstem to the gut. Uh, the gut is another brain, you know, it's recognized mm. as a brain, the feeling brain. Uh, but also there are branches of the vagus nerve which connect to spinal nerves, which then innervate uh, the sacrum, uh, you know, the very lowest part of the spine, which uh, controls the structures within the pelvis. So the pelvic floor, uh, the bladder, the sex organs. So there is a direct connection. And in fact, I understand that you can uh, produce sexual stimulation by stimulating S2, the second sacral nerve. So we know that um, uh, stimulation or uh, affect within those structures has a direct effect on the organs there. So the, so the autonomic nervous system and the vagus nerve isn't uh, only about the gut and the heart and the lungs and the upper uh, structures. It, it does, it, you know, has an impact right the way down into the pelvic floor. Absolutely. 
Mm, okay. I mean, I think this is going to be really interesting for a lot of listeners because pelvic pain is is probably the, <laughs> the biggest symptom that they're dealing with. Um, so let's talk about like the vagus nerve and how it regulates our stress response and and nervous system. Um, because obviously when when that's not working well, those systems tend to go awry. Yeah, so the first thing that tends to happen when we feel stressed or anxious is that our breathing changes. And this can be from a very young age, um, you know, as a baby, uh, right up to adulthood. And what's so important about breathing and so interesting about breathing is it's the only autonomic function that we can easily control. But of course, it also happens when we're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be able to breathe when we were asleep, etc. So because we can change the breathing pattern uh, you know, merely by thought and by willpower, we do. So uh, it's very common for stress or anxiety or trauma to lead to a, a breath holding pattern uh, or an upper chest rapid breathing pattern leading to hypocapnia, low CO2, uh, which then increases what's called nociceptive capacity, so pain sensitivity. And th- that, that's, an, that's a very, very common pattern. Uh, very frequently, people are unaware they're doing it. So one of the, in clinic, one of the things I noticed is there's a real uh, epidemic of undiagnosed mouth breathing and hyperventilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, 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 you can you, once you know what to look for, you can see it. But a lot of people are breathing really only using the upper chest, uh, in a rapid, shallow breathing pattern, and as I say, this low lowers respiratory CO two, uh, and make and, and therefore reduces our resilience to stress even further. Uh, and as the as the autonomic nervous system, and particularly the vagus nerve, control all these autonomic functions, uh, a increase in vagal tone will lead directly to an increase in ability to naturally breathe um, within a a breathing pattern which is conducive to um, proper CO2 and proper O2 regulation. So stress capacity will be induced, uh, increased, uh, and pain will be decreased. So there is a a direct relevance there. Also, um, the uh, vagus nerve and the autonomic nervous system have a direct impact on stress hormone activation uh, in the body and in the brain. And uh, we know that cortisol irregularities, uh, excessive production of uh, adrenaline and norepinephrine are uh, closely associated with uh, chronic uh, chronic illness states, with with pain and with stress perception. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's research on endometriosis um, with... I think it's something about 90% uh, of participants showing low waking cortisol output um, and high perceived stress. Um, I don't think they measured their adrenaline uh, levels, but um, of course that tends to overcompensate if cortisol is low. Um, yeah, well, cortisol you can measure with a, with a saliva sample. So yeah. Fairly, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I, I see this a lot. I don't think I've ever seen... I don't think I've seen a single client with with healthy cortisol levels, actually. Um, quite likely, yeah. Which is just, I mean, you know, this would be very helpful using some vagus uh, regulation to to support that. So can the, I mean, well, how does the vagus nerve become 
damage. And would there be signs of that in in the body? I mean, obviously you're talking about uh, breathing being difficult and higher levels of pain. So would those be some indications? Would be like gut issues? Mm-hmm. So I mean, the, the vagus nerve can be um, mechanically damaged, you know, by right. surgery or injury, etc. All of that that's you know relatively rare. Um, mostly what we see is not, I wouldn't, I I think damage is not quite the right word, but we see vagal uh, dysfunction, vagal dysregulation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, reduced vagal nerve tone. In other words, the vagal nerve uh, and the autonomic nervous system's capacity to respond is decreased. Right. Okay. Uh, and that then has a direct impact on all the many, many things uh, which the autonomic nervous system controls, including heartbeat, heartbeat, uh, heart rate variability, breathing, um, uh, smooth muscle relaxation, uh, all, all the things. Um, yeah, so that we, can, we can have heart uh, variations to heartbeat, um, difficulty sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, shallow breathing and then that brings on a whole series a whole cascade of symptoms of, it, of its own due to a reduction in co2 um i mean the, the symptoms of low co2 are uh you know are fascinating you know uh, cold hands and feet um tingling uh muzzy headed uh, clouded um thinking etc so uh as we see the vagus nerve in particular its functions as being central to regulation and homeostasis in the body, kind of almost, you know, the underpinning of all these functions. If that becomes compromised, then the symptoms that can result are huge and incredibly varied. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that I read, I think it was on your um on your website, on your clinic's website, about um dysautonomia and POTS or it was a sensate's website I can't I can't quite remember um but I just wondered what your thoughts are and so I was recently diagnosed with dysautonomia um mm-hmm. not quite POTS um yeah I don't know if it can go in that direction um but um I I did ha- I had quite a severe spinal injury um I broke my my sacrum um oh. and really the pot symptoms actually now I think about it um kicked in about a year after that um do you see and you know I finally got I'm 34 I had this car accident when I was 17 um and I've I've finally been diagnosed with dysautonomia I have dysregulated breathing accelerated heart rate um lots of chest pain Mm -hmm. and I just wonder how much you know, I have, I have SIBO. Um, there's lots of things indicating my vagus nerve isn't great. And I just wonder how much of like dysautonomia and POTS, is it just someone just has that condition full stop? Or do you think it could be to do with the vagus nerve is dysfunctional and that's creating these symptoms of POTS. And actually if the vagus nerve could be supported, that person Mm. would move out of that POTS diagnosis. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And as I say, vagal nerve function, vagal nerve tone is foundational mm-hmm. for uh, homeostasis, for all regulation in the body. It's not the only thing, right? But it's incredibly foundational for it. Um, and we, 
other than extremes, you know, what we are is a combination of our genes plus our, our experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether um, genes are turned on or, on or off, good genes and bad genes, is mostly dependent on lifestyle, it seems. Mm. Uh, and that includes, that, that therefore includes all the things that happen to us, including uh, maybe difficult birth, uh, maybe um, poor attachments to caregivers at an early age, traumas, certainly physical traumas, like the type you mentioned, like a, a spinal fracture, um, but also emotional trauma as well. All of these things will lead uh, or can lead to an expression of certain genetic tendencies. Um, so there's nothing written in the stars, nothing written in the genes, as it were, about how we will turn out. Um, but the combination of our tendency, which is our genetic heritage, plus what then happens to us determines how things are expressed, how the genes are expressed. Mm. Um, I'm not sure whether I've answered that question or a different one. But <laughs> no, it's really helped. I think because this is a new diagnosis for me um, and I the diagnosis was very, and I, I'm seeing POTS, all, you know, POTS, MCAS, mm-hmm. um, hypermobile EDS in so mm-hmm. many of my endo clients. And there, there are some, some, uh, links in the research. And I just wonder, we know that a lot of chronic pelvic pain patients also have a history of childhood trauma, um, or adolescent trauma. And I'm just wondering how much of, at least from the dysregulated nervous system point of view is, could I don't know how to explain it could be you know supported with the vagus nerve but also actually like do I really just have POTS full stop or dysautonomia full stop or is it actually just a symptom of you know my vagus nerve being dysregulated after quite a lot of emotional trauma growing up plus quite a lot of physical trauma as well <laughs> you know it, may, it just makes mm-hmm. me wonder it's almost like a the IBS term, like, oh, you have IBS. And it's like, well, well, actually, if we dig a bit further, we now know that like 60 to 70% of IBS is SIBO. Does that, you know, like this blanket term, well, you have dysautonomia, full stop. It kind of feels like there's more to it than that, at least for me. Yeah, and listen, nobody has any condition full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the human well, biological organisms are complex fluid mechanisms uh, that can change and evolve in either direction. We can become more anti-fragile or we can be overwhelmed. Yeah. And the reason I guess that I like and I'm obsessed with vagal nerve function is it seems to be one of the few things which is potentially accessible for anyone, mm. which will, and I think I can genuinely say this, you know, be of universal benefit for any human being, irrespective of what is or isn't going on for them. So for um, people who are not majorly symptomatic, that doesn't mean there isn't a problem, but if they're who are not majorly symptomatic, then the increase in vagal nerve tone will um, hopefully stop them from becoming symptomatic. Uh, and for people with marked symptoms that, you know, you can improve a vagal nerve tone, then there is a, a very reasonable expectation that that will reduce symptoms, maybe to the point where there's no symptoms at all. Mm. And I think maybe what we what I need to say here um, is something which we've implied and which is obvious in a sense, but how prevalent trauma with a small T is in modern society. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't, you know, we don't need to have been, you know, held hostage or uh, have been abused to have a degree of trauma within our system. Um, uh, trauma is, you know, uniquely personal. So what one person is traumatized by may not be the same for somebody else. Uh, and I think I do genuinely believe that one of the biggest tasks we all have to face is looking and you know, being able to look inside and being able to um, handle and process the this kind of the shadow self that we all have, which is where our pains and our difficulties and our demons and our trauma resides. Yeah, I, I definitely, and I, you know, having something like endometriosis as well is is trauma in itself. The years being undiagnosed, you know, undiagnosed, being dismissed, the pain, just well, exactly. that alone. If you weren't traumatized before, you will be. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. I mean, I, I would suggest that it's worthwhile of anyone's time and effort to uh, improve their vagal nerve tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we can all improve that. And because it's so foundational, it's, uh, it's, worth, it's worth our while putting the time and effort in. And, you know, the, the problem with the modern living is that many of the ways that we might have uh, accessed improvement of the vagal nerve tone aren't easily available. So things we've already discussed, like meditation, sitting in silence, etc. Um, these, you know, these, these are very hard to do, and it's very hard to find somewhere where one can sit in silence uh, in the modern world. But also, uh, the vagus nerve is very much a mediator of the internal world and the external world. So as we've removed uh, so many supportive structures in our communities, as uh, we have fewer meaningful friends, fewer family, fewer community leaders, fewer elders surrounding us, uh, that kind of, um, the feeling of safety that that engenders has also been removed. Mm, Yeah, I really, really feel that acutely. Yeah, and I think what I would like to say is that feeling safe is ground zero. Mm. Uh, everything else is built on that, you know, from from, an, from the infant upwards. Uh, you know, if Maslow's hierarchy of needs is something a model that we can use, then beneath need for um, for shelter, beneath need for food, water, is feeling safe. Yeah, uh, and I think the biggest problem in many ways with how we most of us live now is that it's very very difficult to feel safe when you feel like you're being chased by. Um, by information, by messages, by diagnosis. Uh, and unless we can fe- become safe, unless we can create a feeling of safety within ourselves, then the autonomic nervous system is always going to dysregulate. So if someone suspects, you know, their vagus nerve isn't quite functioning as it could be, um, can they use heart rate variability? And, and what does that 
mean and, and how does that work um, in order to understand vagus nerve health? So yeah, HRV, heart rate variability, is the uh, micro variation in interbeat interval. So, mm-hmm. you know, the heart shouldn't be rock solid. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> the, heart, the heart shouldn't be metronomic. It shouldn't be absolutely rigid. There should be micro variations in interbeat interval. And this is a reflection of your ability to change and adapt and roll with the punches. So, um, and you, so you can only really you can only measure that with uh, electrical equipment. Uh, the, the the variations are too small. So, uh, you know, to be able to measure it with fingers or another method. So, traditionally, an ECG and an electrocardiogram is used, but there's now quite a lot of wearable technology that will also uh, measure heart rate variability as well. Um, varying degrees of accuracy, um, it must be said. Uh, the Aura Ring is very is, is very popular because it's very easy to use. You literally wear a ring. Uh, connected to the app and then it gives you information about things like heart rate heart rate variability and sleep mm-hmm. um, i know they put a lot of money into developing the algorithm so i think the accuracy of the hrv info has improved um one thing i have noticed though is that uh there is such a thing as data anxiety yeah um so I get at shows and things. I frequently get people coming up to me and showing me their app information and saying, "Am I going to die?" Oh God! Um, you know, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm actually not exaggerating. So, and and we know that people that use sleep apps sleep less well. Oh really? I didn't know uh, that. Yeah. So I think oh. there's a problem of um, information without ability to change it, or without, without knowledge of how to change it, isn't very helpful. In fact, it can be counterproductive. So devices or apps which say, oh, you're not very good, are you? You need to do this. Yeah. Are counterproductive. Uh, because, of course, we know that already, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they are effectively just uh, electronic nagging, uh, and nobody responds <laughs> well to nagging. Um, the well, One device I do like very much, and uh, which we used in clinic to measure heart rate variability, is the heart math device yeah uh, yeah, which goes on the ear or the finger and has an app again of course which you then measure uh, heart rate variability from so it's biofeedback so you you know you're you're trying to relax and you're um, watching the screen and you're uh, controlling your breathing uh, to make um, certain sounds happen and certain things happen on the visuals on the of the app um, so that that that's a that's a, a, an excellent technology. It is active again. So if one is activated by having by being instructed to follow something, then again you can have similar outcomes that we see with meditation, um, which is that one can you know one worries you know am I doing this right? Um, and you might get a few sort of uh, um, positive pings, and then as soon as it goes red and does a negative ping, you then start to panic. So, yeah, and, and that then can become the biofeedback loop, which isn't what you're looking for. But if, if we can use something like heart math over time, uh, it will lead to an improvement in HRV, which is great. I think um, HRV alone as a metric, I think, is of limited value though, because very few people really understand what it means or how to work with it. So it's very sensitive as well. You know, if you run upstairs or you have a cup of coffee or you've had a stressful day or a poor night's sleep, um, it will that will have uh, a impact on your HRV. Okay. So do you, I mean, obviously you said like vagus nerve, nerve tonin is beneficial for everyone. So is it necessary to do the, you know, heart rate variability to check it? Um, 
Well, you, see, with HRV, HRV is a um, a marker for vagal tone mm -hmm. uh, because the vagal the vagus nerve controls heart rate. Uh, and and therefore interbeat intervals. So frequently we use or say we can use vagal tone, uh, heart rate variability measurements as a measurement of vagal tone. And that is true to, to some extent, but as I say, HRV itself is also prone to being effective. Mm. So we're, I'm much more keen on using a mixture of measurements. Uh, so breathing measurements, heart rate um, measurements, heart rate variability measurements, cortisol if you can if you can get it. Although that's not a, a spot metric quite so much. But also, I'm a huge, huge fan of how somebody is feeling, how somebody reports they are feeling. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think there's a bias at the moment in science-based medicine that um, you can't trust what people say. So therefore, the whole field of subjective well-being is largely discounted within medical research. It's used within um, psych psych uh, psychology research, uh, but it's often regarded as something rather flaky and not to be trusted within neurology, etc. But my experience is that how people feel and how people report they feel is as accurate and probably more accurate than any other metric. Wow. Well, that's in fact, subjective well-being um, is approximately 96% accurate in terms of how long you will live. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. It's incredible. I mean, I have to say, you know, I was able to kind of find my own diagnoses before my doctors did because yeah. I listened to my body more mm -hmm. and was able to work it out and be like, okay, I think it's this. And they're like, oh yeah. Okay. You're right. So, you know, just well, this is often the way now, isn't it? People go to their doctor and they say, I've got this doc. Mm. <laughs> and they put you know, they, we, of course we are the experts on our own bodies. Yeah. Um, we can know more than anybody else, even if we don't know the Latin name for it. Right. Yeah. And I think it's about, you know, trust in ourselves as well um and, and hopefully finding finding a doctor who who listens and, and appreciates what what the patient has to say um I think that makes all the difference especially within my you know the community that I'm in um we're often dismissed a lot historically but hopefully that's starting to change yeah so, that'll be good that'll be good to think yeah <laughs> fingers crossed so how can we improve the health of the vagus nerve, like vagal tone? I know you've mentioned some examples and, and some of them are trickier than others, but do you have any kind of go-tos and also it'd be great to hear about Sensei and, and how that works? Um, I mean, I've just written a blog actually that literally went up today on the website uh, about rest mm. and the power of rest. Um, and I think it's, oh, it's impossible really to over stress, as it were, uh, how important sufficient rest is. And I've written this at Christmas time, uh, holiday time, uh, because although this should be a time of rest and reflection, uh, in harmony with the world outside as we move from autumn to winter, as it ret everything returns to the soil to hibernate, to regenerate, uh, in, in fact, in actuality, often the opposite is the case. So we run around uh, trying to do too much, uh, trying to please everyone. A lot for a lot of people, uh, the holiday period can also be very challenging. 
emotionally for a, a multitude of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really encouraging people to see uh, winter in particular and the holiday period as a time of rest and recovery and recuperation. So, you know, we can't really expect to recover and heal from anything if we're not getting good quality sleep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the problem with sleep is the harder you try to sleep, <laughs> the less you're then anxious about sleeping, right? So, which is, you know, I mentioned sleep apps um, tend to give people worse sleep. So a, a big part of dealing with autoimmune conditions, because, you know, what is an autoimmune condition? It's the body rebelling, yeah, like, like a... Like, like a small baby, not because it hates you, because, of course, you, your body loves you, but because it's confused and wants attention and doesn't know how else to seek it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> so a lot of, in the same way as we wouldn't shout at a baby to be quiet and stop seeking attention, we have to have a similar attitude to our own bodies. Yeah, we have to love them unconditionally. Uh, despite the fact that they cry and piss and shit everywhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have to hug our own bodies and love ourselves. And I think what we see commonly in trauma, commonly in people, uh, you know, so many of us with uh, complex medical conditions, is um, insufficient self-love. Yeah, low self-esteem, low confidence. Um, and these are not easy things to address but I suppose what I'm saying is overall <laughs> um, it, what it, what it, there are techniques of course you know many many things that one can do to specifically target the vagus nerve including you know meditation etc but uh, I'm, what we all have to be thinking about in my opinion is how do we Uh, learn to be more comfortable in our own skins how do we learn to love ourselves unconditionally Uh, and that's a life that's a lifelong task that which is why i've kind of put it up front so (laughs) the being the big thing that we should all aim for yeah Uh, and therefore therefore more rest you know rest is an absolutely vital piece of self-care absolutely vital so but thinking of practical things we can do um one i like most is humming there's every society on the planet has developed some kind of method for making the chest resonate. Yeah. Uh, singing, chanting, drumming, uh, omming, humming. And we can all hum. That, that's the nice thing as well. Everybody can hum, even if they can't sing. I think most people can hear a note in their head, may, but may not be able to reproduce it with their vocal cords. But we can all hum. So humming is simply the act of breathing out through the nose while creating a sound at the back of the throat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can, you know, we can practice this somewhere where we don't feel self-conscious, you know, maybe not on the tube, although <laughs> why not? Um, and by making the, uh, and you can play with humming, you know, using different sounds, different notes, uh, take it higher up in the throat, take it lower down in the chest. Um, and this is essentially the mechanism for sensate. You know, you're vibrating the column of air that goes from the throat all the way down to the diaphragm and actually all the way down to the pelvic floor. 
Um, when you hum or om or chant, uh, you're doing this using your own voice. Um, when you use sensate, you're, you're doing this through bone conduction on the chest relayed into the thoracic cavity. And the way I like to think about it is, you know, we can have a beautiful speaker in our hi-fi, uh, but unless the speaker cabinet is also wonderful, then the sound won't be so good. And your chest right. is like this. Yeah, your chest is the speaker cabinet. Uh, and everybody's chest architecture is unique to them. So the sound we reproduce and the way that it reverberates in the body will be specific for that person. And that will send signals through the water, through the fascia, to every part of the body, including the brain, but also right down into the pelvis. So, so I mean, my, my big go-to um, uh, tip is learn to hum. Okay, everyone, homework, hum in. Um, and, then, and then, of course, you read lots of stuff about um, uh, the mammalian reflex, the cold water on the face. Mm. Um, not a big fan of that. I, I do. I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, increasing anti-fragility through um, gently uh, becoming more uncomfortable. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, cold exposure, hot heat exposure, hunger exposure. Um, but you have to um, modulate that with your own capacity. So there's no point uh, overstimulating yourself or over making yourself too so uncomfortable that you then re run away screaming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a very personal thing. But uh, small amounts of cold exposure, which can simply mean um, going out for a walk uh, or wearing a bit less clothing at home or turning the heating off and wearing more clothing, which I think is a good thing. I think I think at the moment it's a very good time to turn the heat <laughs> off and turn the lighting off. There's lots of reasons why that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, overhead lighting and blue light, right, um, yeah. is, is very disruptive to uh, uh, brain function for the eyesight. And it's only quite recently that light would have been anything other than red. You know, uh, the sun, flames, candles, lamps, everything would have been red until we invented blue LEDs. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, of course, in, and screens. So overhead blue light is very disruptive. So, you know, we can have, we can have, uh, we want to have as much sunlight as possible, especially early morning sunlight. If you uh, look at the work of Andrew Huberman at the Huberman Lab at Stanford, talks he's about, great. yeah, he's amazing. He's fantastic. I love Andrew. So he talks about, you know, opening the window in the morning and actually, you know, seeing sunlight, seeing morning sunlight. Yeah, that's even exactly shooting, what I do every day. Yes, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's like yeah. There's a brilliant mantra that somebody on my uh, rewilding group said to me, which is uh, sun before screen. Mm, love that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So uh, even a sheet of glass in a room or in a car will reduce the beneficial properties of light by, I think it's about 50 times. Wow. So, so open that window. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I don't, don't stare at the sun, obviously, but... Um, uh, and, and, and at the moment, it's a bit later, but uh, allow morning sunlight to enter your system. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so important for, you know, low waking cortisol levels because cortisol is regulated by the sun. So for so many listeners, that is such a simple, um, simple step that can improve waking cortisol levels and make people feel more energized in the morning and, and not like they haven't slept at all. We absolutely, and then at the other end of the day, to uh, avoid screen use um, after dinner, say, 
Uh, certainly, I strongly encourage people not to have mobile phones in their bedroom or TVs in their bedroom. Yeah. Um, and at night, turn the lights down. Try not to have overhead lights. Try not to have LED. Yeah, make use of candles, especially at this kind of time. It became it becomes cozy. I'm in Sweden, so I'm surrounded by candles and, and yeah, lots that. of Kiga. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, how can someone use Sensei? Like, what would be the most effective way to use Sensei uh, for these conditions that we talked about? You know, today endometriosis and its co-conditions of like POTS, you know, dysautonomia. SIBO, chronic pain. (laughs) Um, Well, again, by turning the vagus nerve, you have the potential to have an impact on all those conditions, which is the lovely thing about it. Mm -hmm. And the use case for Sensate is pretty straightforward, and it's designed um, in a way that's very simple to do and quick to do. So, uh, you know, you basically lie back, you pop the Sensate device on your chest in the right place and the center of the chest. Um, I use it in the bag um, because I actually like that kind of quality in between a couple of layers of clothing. So it's just kind of snugly held there. Choose the tune you want on the app. You know, put your your headphones on, close your eyes or use your eye mask and then just lie back. And then we don't ask people to do anything during Sensei. We don't, you know, we ask nothing of you. So you don't need to follow anything. You don't need to count your breath. You don't need to try and breathe in any special way. In fact, the more that you just simply surrender to the process, the more your autonomic nervous system will take over, which is what you're looking for. Right. Okay. Um, and the use case is 10 minutes once a day. Uh, and for the vast majority of people, that they, they can see some difference after a first 10-minute session. Um, for some people, they have to repeat sessions over a matter of, days or weeks before they, they really notice a lot of difference. But for most people, literally, a single 10-minute session produces a noticeable effect. And what, I mean, what, was your, what was your experience? Yeah, I mean, I was, like I said, I felt like I was in a cocoon of, like, mm-hmm. cotton wool or something. It was, and I, I didn't want to move. I didn't want to break it um, because it takes I mean, I just don't, I don't relax. I'm just kind of on this high alert all the time, not out of choice. It's just kind of, uh, you know, just how I am at the moment. Um, and so, you know, as I said, I, I fell straight asleep. I want, I haven't used it in the day yet. I really want to use it in the day. I've been using it at night. Um, so I'm going to try it during the day, but it's more relaxed. And I, I mean, I can't actually remember the last time I felt like that probably a sound bath several years ago or something um well, what, what, what i think you've just described is feeling safe yeah and of course a lot of people i say it's 10 minutes once a day and that's what we ask for, of people but uh many many people do several sessions <laughs> uh, because they find it to be a very enjoyable um, and easy and simple process so you know we have people that use it six eight ten times a day I and mean, i've got mine on most of the time really um, what so you just have it on vibrating all day yeah, I mean, sometimes with music, sometimes without. I've got it on now, right? I'm vibrating gently now as uh, as I talk to you, which isn't the easy case, uh, I, I I admit. Um, but um, you know, I, I've I've been using Sensei for so long now that uh, um, I I find the physical feedback is just incredibly useful. I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm uh, neurodiverse myself, so having and so, so I'm a sensory seeker. So having some kind of sensory data coming back into my system is very reassuring. Yeah. So can you just 
Just because I thought it just turns off after 10 minutes, but you just keep turning it back on if you want to. Yeah, I, I play different sessions. So we have 10, 20, and 30 minute sessions. We will be introducing uh, longer sessions as well, particularly for sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, we're launching a new version of the app quite shortly before the end of the year, which will have the option to have some longer sessions. Um, but it, yes, it does turn off. Uh, it, it, you know, it, at the end of the session, it will turn off. Yes. Okay, so you just switch it back on, which I mean, it's super simple. It's just between your chest and it's one one button. Um, so, Stefan, I'm aware that you need to hop off. So, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Where can people find you? Um, find out about your clinic. How can they get hold of Sensei? Well, it's been an absolute pleasure being on. Um, you know, my mission is to positively impact the lives of. 100 million people by 2025 and uh so outreach. Oh, what a goal i love it oh well there you go so out- outreach is incredibly important we have now um people our users have now used 25 million sensate minutes so we are we are moving in the right direction so the website is uh, get sensate get sensate.com and it's all there you can find you can find the blog and there's lots of articles there lots of info there's obviously a contact us link etc People are indeed very welcome to use the website to write to me and ask any direct questions also. Oh, perfect. I'll put the link in in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone thinks about this show. Excellent. Thank you so much. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. 